2: As the Orange hold off the defending national champions, they beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle! He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone! Buffalo wins! Back to full. Red Sox fans
1: have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. To look at the positive side of things once in a while,
0: instead of the negative all the time. This is on the block with Brent Axe. radio 97.7 100.1 espn radio Utica, rome what's up mohawk valley great to have you on board today you can listen wherever you are via the espn app download that baby hit the listen tab find espn syracuse and away you go wherever you go we're going with you baby except the bathroom that's kind of gross 437-7644 that's the phone number To get in touch, use it, talk sports. If You missed Friday's show. You missed a glorious moment when Pat and Dro, two of Central New York's best sports talk radio callers. Now, we risked, like, crossing the streams here. This could have gone very bad. This could have, like, sent the universe into a tailspin. But we took the shot, and we put them both on the air at the same time, and it was glorious. It was just glorious sports talk radio. So I don't know if we'll do that again today. We'll do it at some point again when we're kind of feeling it. Maybe it won't stop with Pat and Drew. We can pair some other callers together. It was a glorious moment. So you may not uh, be a part of sports talk radio history in central New York like that, but you can certainly uh, tell us what's on your mind today by using that great phone number, 437-7644. The uh, Twitter... Where the show never stops, Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter, and the on the block text line you can get in touch as well, 2880644. 2880644, if you would like to get in touch with us via the text line. We have two guests that will join us throughout the course of the program, in addition to you, if you want to be my guest today. And those guests are the great Kyle Federley on the call. Busy times for Syracuse Lacrosse. They picked up another big win. Over Notre Dame on Saturday. They'll be back at it tomorrow night at the Dome against Hobart. So we'll get some good lax talk in with our buddy Kyle Federley, of course, from the Syracuse IMG Sports Network on the color. Mr. Wu himself along, on the call along with Brian Higgins. A programming note, by the way, because of the snow out in the Bronx today, New York Yankees baseball will actually be heard right here tomorrow, weather permitting, of course, on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Because of uh, said lacrosse game over on Brostat TK ninety nine. So programming note, uh, short of a rainout of some sort or a weather event of some sort, we will not be here tomorrow because we'll have Yankee baseball pinch hitting for our brostat station over on TK ninety-nine. But we will talk to Kyle today about all things Syracuse Lacrosse at five oh five. About an hour from now, we'll bring in our buddy Chris Carlson from Syracuse.com. The wake of the Darius Baisley situation, all things Syracuse basketball. They're looking ahead on a few things. Always good to get Chris's take on SU Athletics Matters, and we will do that about an hour from now. Hot takes as usual to come. It's Monday, so we'll go on the blind side. We'll see what Seth has in store for us today. Villanova, Michigan. I think Michigan's got a shot in this game. Call me crazy. I mean, if Villanova comes out and... Comes anywhere close to how they shot the ball on Saturday against Kansas. I mean, lights out, the party's over, which you know, won't be bad news for Grandpa because that means I can go to bed at halftime. 9.20 tip times, I mean, come on now. I mean, I guess I got a lot of training with all these 9 o'clock games, watching all those Syracuse games that ended up at 9 o'clock tips or later 10 o'clock in some cases in the tournament, so I guess I should be used to this by now, but... uh you know, and that dog wakes me up at 3:30 in the morning. Little Summit's got to go outside to do her thing. You know that comes quick if you're staying up late watching college basketball. So I hope it is worth staying up for if it goes that far. Villanova starts raining threes the way they did on Saturday. I don't know if there's much that Michigan can do, but I think Michigan is a team that is put together in a way that can at least slow down Villanova and make this maybe not the most entertaining game in the world, but a close game, which I think is all we want, right? Michigan has won in all sorts of manners this year, but so has Villanova. And I think even if Michigan can get out on those Villanova guards and cut back on those threes, Villanova's a little more versatile in the Wolverines, but who's not rooting for John Beeline around here? So we'll get into that as we go forward. But, you know, look, eventually this Darius Baisley story is is going to fade out from the everyday conversation, but the effects of this will not. I had somebody tweet me over the weekend and they made somewhat of a fair point, but it's one I'll dispute in a way saying, you know, when are we going to stop talking about a guy that chose not to come here? And I say, no, if that's fair in a way, maybe Syracuse fans are getting a little sick of hearing about it because, well, he said, no, he, it, but he didn't go to a different school. He didn't, you know, do what would be considered a normal course of action in the world of college basketball recruiting, which we deal with, you know, day in and day out around here. It's a a unique story, and it's one we're not going to know the repercussions of, really, for the next few years. Will this start a trend? We really don't know. How will it affect Syracuse? Of course, we don't know that. History tells us that Syracuse tends to recover from these type of things, and the teams that are a little more under the radar, do better. And this year's team, I think, is a grand example of that. Losing Darius Baisley turns this from a top-10 preseason team next year to a team that will be merely ranked in the preseason. I still think they'll be right there in that conversation. But what he's doing, the effect of it, one thing that we really didn't get, and I started to see some of this trickle out over the weekend, but really got today in a meat-and-potatoes way, was some reaction from the coaching staff. We reacted, certainly. You reacted, certainly. Media wrote what they wrote and said what they said, and the speculation was out there about you know the fuse that this could light in college basketball and remove all bias. Or just remove your Syracuse fandom aside and how dare he spurn Syracuse. Just look at it from an objective point of view. This is a fascinating story. I was on with uh, my boys in Rochester before I, I came out today on ESPN Radio Rochester, and I made the point then, and I'll make the point again now. In a weird way, as we get ready to go into college basketball's national championship game tonight, and all this discussion about where the sport is and the FBI investigation, remember the Rice Commission comes out later this month. Condoleezza Rice was asked to look into college basketball, basically put out a memo saying, how do we fix this? Because when you've got to fix college sports these days, you turn to Condi, right? She was on the college football playoff committee, and now she's doing this. The irony of this Baisley thing, if it works in some capacity, is that the NCAA will be off the hook in the future of this whole fairly compensating athletes thing, which they shouldn't because they're still profiting off the likeness of these players, and these players should be able to do just that. But the NCAA will be able to say, well, listen, if you want to go play basketball at 18 years old and be compensated for it, there's your path. We are a student-athlete model here. We are an amateur model here at the NCAA. And if you want to get paid, well, boy, that Darius Baisley kid, he went right to the G League, and look what he's doing. I mean, that could be it, or it could be the complete opposite. So the reaction today, I've got a couple of clips here from both Jim Beheim, who was on ESPN Radio Syracuse this morning via Golic and Wingo. From Alan Griffin, who was on Orange Nation with Steven Seth earlier today. I want to listen back to a couple of those clips as we go through the show here and, and see how much sense they make. And, you know, it's coming from a certain point of view. And Jim Beheim, I thought, had some very interesting comments about this overall. I tweeted out the entire transcript of it if you want to check it out on my Twitter feed, Brent Axe Media, to get the whole context of it. But Jim Beheim does not see this as a trend, he sees this as still an anomaly. Here's what he said initially when asked this morning by Golic and Wingo about Darius Bayes.
1: The last 48 McDonald's All-American, 47 of them went to college. (laughs) And of the next 48, 48 will go to college. That's the best route. Trey Young's the best example. If he came out last year, he's a 30th pick in the draft. Maybe. He goes to college. He's at worst in the top 10 because college helps you. I, I don't understand why everybody, everybody doesn't say and see. College really helps, even if you're there one year, it helps you get better. And if you're really good, it gives you a platform.
0: That is the question there. And there is un there's no doubt, I should say, that the platform of college basketball is bigger than the platform of the G League these days, even though it's a professional basketball league. College basketball wins there. The television exposure, the branding, the Hall of Fame coaches that you have the potential to play for, in this case, Jim Beheim, but others. Just the tournament, how mainstream it is, March Madness, ESPN's involvement in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jim is right about that. Does it get you ready for the NBA more than the G League does? Well, that depends because this has not been done before. This is an 18-year-old kid who's going to try and play with 22, 23, 24, 25-year-old men that are scrapping for like a 14th roster spot on the NBA teams that their G League spots are affiliated with. A little bit more from Jim on just that. That it is hard to go from the NBA from the G League pardon me, to the NBA.
1: It's very hard now to go from the G League to the NBA because every NBA team has 17 players. right, And The G League has 300 players in it. How many of those guys, where's the room in the NBA for those guys? There isn't room, and they're not equipped to work kids out, have weight rooms, have strength and conditioning programs. The G League, maybe someday it'll get to be like that, but it's not like that right now. The NBA doesn't think it's like that right now.
0: And Jim's right about that. The irony is that the facilities at the Carmelo K. Anthony Center, are better than almost any G League team you could throw at me unless they share an NBA space with somebody. I mean, you're playing in some small arenas. You're playing in cities that the the facilities they have are worse than, you know, a Syracuse or a Kentucky or Duke or Kansas or some of the major college programs out there. Here's a little bit more from Jim Beheim this morning on Golick and Wingo on the problems with taking the G League route. Here it is here.
1: I had said all my quotes about the G League were made two weeks ago before I knew this was ever going to happen. He's a really good kid. And, you know, the odd thing is he's a really team player. He really plays well when he's passing and playing with other players, which isn't what happens in the G League. It's, you know, it's a guard-oriented drive-and-go game. And it's 22, 22 23-year-old guys trying to get to the league or Get to Europe. One more
0: from Jim Beheim here on Golik and Wingo this morning about, you know, the workout schedule and prepping here versus doing that in the G League.
1: The odd thing, he wants to work out. He's a really good workout kid. He works hard. He will not play in a game or work out with an organized team until November. This is March, April. He's got April, May, June, July, August, September, October, where if he was – in college, he'd work out for six weeks in the summer and then eight weeks before November 1st. So he's obviously going to be a lot further along. We have the training stuff, the weight rooms, the trainers, the everything you need to get better. That's why kids go to college.
0: That's a short-term thing. Okay, so he can't work out with his teammates over the next six months. I'm sure he'll manage to find somewhere and somebody to work out with. That, I didn't think, was a point worth making. And I understand why Jim discussed that and why he was selling the aspects of his program in and, and college and, and playing in a better facility and all that, but that's the next six months. That, that, to me, is, you know, who cares? But I think he did make some good points there about the G League versus college basketball, what would be better off there. I wonder if that first stat is right. Because I think, by and large, over the next, put a number on it, five years, Jim might be right that more McDonald's All-Americans will play in college than they will play in the G League. Because you have to be at a certain level. You got to remember Darius Baisley was projected to be a top 10 pick in the 2019 NBA draft. He still might be just out of a different uh, situation than being a college athlete at Syracuse. It might be from, you know, the main Red Claws as opposed to the Syracuse Orange. So that's Bayheim. Uh, if you missed Alan Griffin earlier today and he recruited Baisley, was out in Ohio, Took the high road on this whole thing, as Jim said as well a couple of times. We wish him well in this. I think you get him alone on a mountaintop. Maybe you get a more honest response there. But you do have to take the high road on these things, wish him well, and say all the right things. But I think Alan Griffin, it's a very unique perspective on this too. If you missed that interview, it is up on our website at ESPNSyracuse.com. We send it out via our podcast page as well. Please subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to ESPN Syracuse to get the best interviews and, of course, podcast versions of our programs sent to you. So we'll listen in a little bit to what Griff said later on. Let's take a break right now. We will shift gears next because, boy, I might end up uh, eating some real crow on this, as one of our texters said to me last week about the direction the Syracuse lacrosse team was heading because they just keep winning big games, despite the fact that they're too young to do so. Kyle Federley is going to join us next. Mr. Wu himself on another big win for the Orange and a quick turnaround against Holbart on Tuesday. We'll talk some lacks coming up around the block. ESPN Radio. This is on the block with Brent. Oh, Aix. did you hear the glorious news? Now, it's it's a sign you're getting older when one of your favorite bands plays for free at Chevy Court. Let's be honest. Ask me if I care. Counting County Crows. August 25th, free Chevy Court. Uh, Our friend Josh from the Daniel Baldwin Show here on ESPN Syracuse. And, of course, K-Rock. We're giving everybody a free acoustic uh, concert in the office today, singing some uh, County Crows. And, uh, I mean, I just can't get away from the Crows lately. We did the Omaha video, and then they're coming to town. I mean, it's awesome. That did hit me a little bit, though. That did hit me a little bit. I'm like, you know... When your favorite bands are showing up and they're free at Chevy court, you're getting old. It's okay though. I'll take it because old people like free things and discounted things. So it all goes hand in hand. We got some hot takes for you. First though, Let's at the phones, Doug in North Syracuse. He wants to talk some lax with us here. Doug, happy Monday. What's up, bud?
2: Same to you, Brent. Thanks. I just wanted to thank you for having Kyle on, man. He brings some great energy to the, to the sport and to the program. And, I didn't realize this team had a meeting, and uh, it answers some questions for me. I think it's somewhat appropriate to say that this team is resurrected and has come back to life this weekend. It's an incredible display that they put on. Um, This was a dead and lost team a couple of weeks ago, and, man, that is certainly not the case anymore. just wanted to mention a couple of names. Tyson Bomberry was uh, briefly mentioned. This kid brings a different element, and he was out for two or three or maybe four weeks, um, and his presence was absolutely missed man. When he is on that field, you better tread lightly and with caution on the turf in front of that cage. Um, he, he just he just made he's a difference maker. And this Tucker pick the freshman, reminds me a lot of Nick Mariano. I know he wears the same number, but that's not why he reminds me of him he just he's just hell bent on making something happen when he gets the ball in the stick. He's got a heck of a posture and a lot of confidence for a freshman along with a whole bunch of talent. So you know, I'm glad to see this team bounce back, and, and thanks for giving me a couple of minutes. I just want to put another word or two out there. Thanks,
0: Doug. Appreciate the call and the thoughts. couple of uh, things to respond to from your call there. One, I, I, I was not aware of that team meeting either. That was a great nugget from Kyle about, you know, sometimes team meetings don't mean anything. It appears this one did. Dordovic has that it factor. I agree with Kyle completely there. He just looks like the next big star. Syracuse lacrosse he's fun to watch and nothing but big things ahead for him he's already the fifth leading scorer on this team now it's a majority of those are goals but you can see big big things ahead for him and the other thing is how versatile this team is that's a good sign of what good coaching for those that have done the fire desk go thing and have wanted changes made around here we've had the discussions about where Syracuse stands now and how you have to recalibrate things but not lose your high expectations because you shouldn't, because Syracuse is still in that conversation. They're still in a lead program, and it, it's fair, as I've always said, for fans to have those high expectations. But you can't be a versatile team and make those adjustments without a coaching staff teaching you how to do it, particularly when you're a young team. So I hope all the people that were on the Fire Desco bandwagon and want to criticize this coaching staff could also recognize good coaching when it's there because that's only fair to do. And in this case... That's great coaching. To turn around a team from some bad losses to run and gun up and down the field with certain teams and then get in a dogfight like that with Notre Dame, that comes from coaching, kids. Hit me with that fancy open. Let's do some hot takes. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not
2: afraid to cry. It's so hot.
0: So hot.
1: And yes! <laughs> Man, it's hot. How hot is it's so hot, I poured
0: McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for Hot Takes on the Block. No matter what happens tonight, and I'm tempting fate fade here, given what Villanova, North Carolina, gave us a couple years ago, but I feel very confident in saying that no matter what happens tonight, between Villanova and Michigan, the women's Final Four will have topped it. wall for
1: the win! wins the national championship for Notre Dame.
0: That's our friend Adam Amin on the call for ESPN, who by the way killed it with Rebecca Lobo and Kara Lawson, great broadcast of that game. Both Friday games went to overtime. You kid me? Two overtime games in the final four, and then a buzzer beater. Notre Dame wins, not UConn. Sorry to our friend Brianna Stewart, who I interviewed last week on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, and she was great. Different team wins. What that? I am not going to even start to claim that I'm the expert on women's college basketball, but I do know that Notre Dame had a ton of injuries this year. It was really up against it, and to come in to this tournament with they're a lot like Syracuse. As a matter of fact, they were down to some pretty limited numbers, but what they had really came together, and to win this tournament and to win in that fashion, what a coaching job by Muffet McGraw! And Notre Dame, and it's not just UConn. Now, Notre Dame is certainly one of the top programs out there. Mississippi State was there again. All four number 1 seeds made the Final Four in women's college basketball. So they've got some work to do in terms of making it a true March Madness like the men's Final Four and the men's tournament does at this point because it's still a lot of the same names and a lot of the same teams you hear this time of the year. Incredible, though, and well worth your time if you caught any of those games. That's high. No matter what happens tonight between Villanova and Michigan, and I'm tempting the basketball gods there, it cannot top the women's final four. The women's final four wins this year. Just for sheer entertainment, close games, buzzer beaters, everything you could ask for, it was fantastic. So a heckler reached out to Bryce Harper in Cincinnati trying to get his attention trying to get into his head Harper had already hit a home run which prompted the fan to call Bryce Harper overrated to which Bryce Harper responded
1: overrated. Bryce Harper high in the air deep center see you later a monster shot the other way did you hear the guy right before the pitch in the- and say
0: overrated. Overrate this. <laughs> Boom shakalaka. Now, I'm going to play this again just at the beginning. You heard the uh, the call there on the Cincinnati Reds radio network, or was that the Nationals radio network? I think it was the Nationals radio network. And listen closely right at the beginning here. You actually hear the fan.
1: Overrated.
0: Hey, guys, oh. Bryce Oakford. Yeah, as uh, they said on the broadcast, overrate that. I love those moments when a fan tries to be a wise-ass, tries to say something like that. By the way, Bryce Harper overrated. Are you kidding me? He's in the short conversation to be the best player in baseball. Stop. And this is in a year where Harper and the Nationals, stop me if you heard this before, because it's always their year and it's always the Capitals' year and it's always, I mean, there's so many teams that just falls short in Washington, D.C. sports, as the Tony Kornheiser show has taught me well. But this Nationals team is built to win a World Series now for a number of reasons, part of which is Harper is going to get the biggest contract in baseball at the end of this season, and it's probably not going to be with the Nationals. Just my guess. That's hot. So uh, your boy Geno Smith is now a member of the Los Angeles Chargers. And here's what's interesting. Could Geno Smith... You know, let's go back to that 2004 NFL draft when Eli Manning was selected by the San Diego Chargers but didn't want to go there, and the trade was made that enabled him to go to the Giants and Phillip Rivers, of course, go to the Chargers. Well, last year, Geno Smith comes in for Eli Manning, ending the longest consecutive start streak in the National Football League. I'm not saying that Geno Smith is going to upend Phillip Rivers in Los Angeles, but if it so happens that Rivers goes down and Geno Smith has to come in, he's the cleanup guy now. Geno Smith has become the ultimate cleanup guy in the NFL. He's 27, of course, originally a second-round pick by the Jets in 2013, four rocky seasons, two as the full-time starter. But, you know, I was thinking about this. Geno Smith's legacy is you were the guy that got came in for Eli and IKN and Polly popped you in the jaw. Like, that's your legacy right now. You were a part of one of the worst quarterback drafts in history, this year's quarterback draft with Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and Lamar Jackson and all these quarterbacks could turn out to be one of the best in years. That 2013 draft and the Bills really needed a quarterback that year. The biggest choices on the board were Geno Smith, E.J. Manuel, and Ryan Nassib. And Nassib didn't even go to the fourth round. Some dope had him, the number one overall pick in the draft. No offense against Ryan, but he just wasn't that caliber of a player. How did it happen that that draft was that bad? And Geno Smith is like the shining star of it. E.J. Manuel, Geno Smith, Ryan Nassib. How do you go through a a year? Different years are different in terms of the stock talent that's there. But that quarterback draft has to be the worst ever. How could it not be? Somebody prove me wrong on that. That's hot. Because I'm too lazy to do it. Do the work on that one. Speaking of the draft, good segue here. That's an interesting point. Jim Mora, of course, who coached at UCLA, whose quarterback was Josh Rosen was asked in an interview on the NFL Network if he were the Browns and they were picking at number one, whom he would take. And his answer, of course, was Sam Darnold. What? Wait. no, Is that a typo? You know that Josh Rosen played for Jim Mora at UCLA, therefore he's going to campaign for his guy, right? No, he said that. Now, he cited that Darnold was more of a fit for Cleveland, citing a blue-collar, gritty attitude for which Darnold was better in Cleveland. Oh, is that how you say instant loser? He's gritty. He's blue-collar. Okay, gotcha. Amora interviewed Sunday and stood by those comments. So he had a chance to uh, care to retract your statement, sir, and he did not. Now, he says that Rosen, his guy, is the number one quarterback in the draft and is, quote, a franchise changer, but said that the team that drafts him needs to challenge him. And I found this quote very interesting. And Here's the quote. He needs to be challenged intellectually. This is more on Josh Rosen so he doesn't get bored. He's a millennial. He wants to know why. Millennials, once they know why, they're good. Josh has a lot of interests in life. If you can hold his concentration level and focus only on football for a few years, He'll set the world on fire. He has so much ability, and he's a really good kid. That's more to Peter King following up the comments in which he said he would put Sam Darnold in Cleveland over Rosen. Now, maybe that's a coach looking out for his player because given the choice between the two, do you want to go to Cleveland? Because the Giants have the second pick, and I would much rather go there. A quarterback's going to go. Now, look, Rosen's going in the top five. Either way, barring some sort of ridiculous thing that comes out. But a comment like that is just going to bring up more questions. See, this is where the, no, the noise, pardon me, and the smoke really comes out this time of the year. Because now Josh Rosen's got to answer that. And all these visits that he's going to do with all these teams coming up. Why did your coach say you shouldn't be the number one pick? And that's just a headache that kid doesn't need. Set the phones before we take a break here at four three seven seventy six forty four. Dave in Syracuse on the block. Dave, what's up, bud?
1: Uh, Brad, I think uh, I just turned in a few minutes ago, but I heard your uh, your comments relative to Notre Dame and the great uh, coaching job and the great effort they made. I, I haven't heard uh, whether you spoke about the blatant cross body block that, by the uh, Notre Dame player just prior to that.
0: To the winning There's-
1: shot. No, well, it was prior to the winning shot, but it was at midcourt, and it was a cross-body block, which was probably the worst foul of the game, never called against Notre Dame, near the end of the game. Just wondered, because they played a fantastic game, and they got uh, they got jobbed on this one, Mississippi State.
0: Okay, that's fair to bring up. I, you know, I look at the the... the the, the season as a whole, and again, I'm not an expert on women's college basketball by any stretch of the imagination. You think it, it changed the game, it changed the game. You want to focus on that, you can focus on that one call. I'm looking at a Notre Dame team that was down to, like Syracuse in some ways, not similar in all, but similar to some. To, you know, a team that was affected by injury and frankly should not have made this run this far. And I'm going to look at that play and I'm going to look at that situation and I'm going to say congratulations to you. If you want to focus it on a bad call... That game changed things. You could focus on that. I didn't see enough of that. I mean, I did see that play. That I think that Mississippi State got burned or robbed in some fashion by that. You got the rest of the game to take care of that. Don't let it come down to that situation. Is what I say in those situations. Usually, I don't really have that passionate a hey, opinion on Mississippi State Notre Dame. To be honest with you, my larger general point was there's nothing the men's game can do tonight to top the women's Final Four overall. They win this year. Amazing stuff. Two overtime games and a buzzer beater to win the championship. That's going to be tough to beat. On that note, we'll break. We'll come back. Stay right there. You're on the block.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.